0: If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me really quickly to Luke chapter 8. This morning we are finishing up, we're concluding, we are bringing to an end our series of studies and sermons on stewardship, giving, and finances that we've entitled The Generous Life. We are embracing stewardship, we are experiencing abundance. And if you'll remember that during our February is for finances emphasis that that we have seen the basis or the foundation of, of biblical stewardship. We talked about what it means to give and to live by faith. Last week in Sunday school you should have learned about generosity, how God desires uh, for us to be generous with the gifts that he gives to us. And then he wants you to understand and to see that your best future is on the other side of generosity. It really is. I've heard people say over the years, you know, say, they say something like this, say, pastor, you know, I want to be generous. And if I were rich, I could be generous. And Well, you misunderstand it. You don't have to be rich to be generous. You just have to be generous to be generous, right? And so that brings us this morning to the last principle, and that's the principle of abundance here in heaven's economy. And uh, what I'm calling this morning, you can't outgive God. So you've been sitting for just a few minutes. If you're able to, would you stand up one last time? Luke chapter 6, verse 38, and let's read this together. Kind of let you stretch out just a little bit, and then we'll jump into this morning's uh, final message. Jesus says in Luke 6, verse 38, give, and it will be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it it will be measured back to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness, thank you for your manifold grace, thank you for the the gifts and the benefits and the blessing that you pour out upon us every single day. And Father, as we finish out this series, would you help us to to learn the truth that we cannot outgive you. That when we do what you've told us to do and we obey you and we return that there's a reward. And Father, would you just imprint these truths upon our mind, etch them into our heart today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. So this past week I was kind of praying and thinking through what? What portion or passage in the Bible, what what story illustration best would go with this principle that we'll be looking at this morning? And I I kept going back to the place where we were the last time that we were together a couple of weeks ago in Malachi chapter 3, because Malachi chapter 3, as I I shared that with you before, I believe that it is the foundational, it is the fundamental passage on biblical stewardship in all the pages of your Bible. And so with that said, would you hold your finger there in Luke chapter 6? Go over to Malachi chapter 3. And as you're doing that, let me just remind You that the name Malachi means my messenger. And so Malachi is delivering his message in a day and an age that's very much like uh, the day and age that you and I live in today. Here are a people who have forgotten God. They have forsaken God. And as a result of that, the blessings of God have been withheld. And all throughout this little book, Malachi just keeps asking what are known as rhetorical questions. How many of y'all know what a rhetorical question is? Can I see your hand, raise your hand? A rhetorical question. So a rhetorical question is not a question that you ask in order to get an answer. A rhetorical question is a question that you ask in order to make a point. And the best known of all of Malachi's rhetorical questions are found in Malachi chapter 3, where he writes there in verse number 8, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you in tithes and offerings? You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. And so Malachi here, he is dealing with the foundation of fiscal fitness. Not, not your body, but, but your money. And Malachi says to the people that, that they robbed God. How? By withholding their tithes and their offering. And again, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. The word rob literally means to take by force. It means to plunder. And so you have this result of this robbery. There's a reckoning. And he says in verse 9 that you are cursed with a curse. And so what's the remedy? What's the solution? To return. What To return what? Well, to return to God what God says belongs to him, the tithes and the offerings. And when you do that, he says that there's going to be a reward. That's what's taking place here in Malachi chapter 3. And so Malachi goes on to share how the blessings of God are going to be poured out upon you to such a great degree that you cannot even contain it. And here's the verse that I want us to camp out on this morning as we finish up this series of studies on finances. And it's verse number 10. Watch this. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. So God says, you give like I have commanded you to give. The first time out of every dollar, the first hour out of every day, the first day out of every week. You give me the first fruits of your increase and I'm going to open up the windows of heaven to such a degree that I'm going to pour you out a blessing that's going to be so big you're not even going to be able to contain it it's the principle of abundance you see you give and God gives back you send up God sends back down you pour out God pours back in that's why Jesus said in our main text for this month give and it will be given to you good measure pressed down shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom for with the same measure that you use it will be measured back to you so the greatest book of all time the, the most selling book of all time is what yeah the Bible You know what number two is? I think think number two is Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. And John Bunyan wrote another little verse. So you've you've read Pilgrim's Progress. But John Bunyan wrote, and I love this. It doesn't make sense at first, but just think about it. He said, there was a man, some called him mad. The more he gave, the more he had. Counterintuitive, right? Right. And yet, it's absolutely the truth of the Bible. Because the more that you give, as you read the Bible, the more that you give, the more it comes back to you. Not because Joel Osteen says that, as a matter of fact, kind of in spite of it, not because Creflo Dollar or T.D. Jakes or anybody else says it, but just simply because that's the way God works in his economy. God is the greatest giver in all the universe, and God's not gonna let you or me out give him. My last church, I had a family there in the church. Man, I just love them dearly. And uh, he was was vertical. He owned a quarry. He owned an asphalt company. He owned a paving company. And so earth moving was kind of important to him. R.G. Letourneau is considered to be the father of the modern earth moving industry. He's credited with over 300 inventions. And R.G. Letourneau gave 90% of his income back to the Lord. He gave 90% of it away. we, We try to... Give 10 percent away, and we struggle with that, right? He gave 90 percent away. And he said, though, the problem was the problem was that so much kept coming in that he couldn't keep up with it. Let me take a drink, and I'm going to tell you what he said. He said this: "I shovel out, and God shovels it back. but God's got a bigger shovel." I think that's kind of neat. Here you have an earth-moving guy, and he says, I shovel it out, God shovels it back, but God's got a bigger shovel. That's exactly what God says through his prophet Malachi. He says in verse 10, try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Think about that, that there will not be be enough room to receive it. W.A. Criswell, who uh, pastored First Baptist Dallas for over 50 years, he was part of the generation that used to wear the white suits. How many of y'all went to church in the generation where the preachers, all the big-name preachers wore white suits? Can I see your hands? Remember the days of the white suits? You will never see me in a white suit. I would look like the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. It is not going to happen. I wear dark clothes for a reason. And uh, W.A. Chriswell he paraphrased this verse this way. He said, your hearts aren't big enough, your arms aren't wide enough to receive the abounding blessings I'll pour out upon you if you will return to me with a sense of stewardship. And so that's the reward, the return for being a good steward of the gifts and the grace and the goods of God. And so let me just take a few moments this morning really quickly as we wrap up our series of studies on stewardship by by teaching you and talking about the principle of abundance, the, the kind of blessings, the rewards, the We use this phrase today, the ROI, the return on investment that God pours out on those who get in on his miraculous plan of economy by trusting him, by tithing, by giving generous offerings in his name and for his glory. And so if you're taking notes here this morning, you're going to want to write this down. Number one, when you give like God tells you to give, number one, the Bible says that God will bless you personally. That's exactly what it says in verse 10. Look at it. He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Now, anybody in here, you were raised in church. Can I see your hand like me? You were raised in church. Many of us were. Not not everybody was, but many of us were raised in church. And so if you were raised in church, you've heard this verse. You have heard Malachi chapter 3. You have heard this preached but you might be like me and it maybe that you, you missed something. There was something in this passage that, that I didn't notice until just a few years ago. So Malachi is talking to the people of God. He, he's talking to the nation in general. He's speaking to them as a group. That's why the old King James, by the way, anybody got your old King James with you this morning? Can I see your hands? You got your old King James. You're proud of it. Raise your hand. Got my old King James with me mean, this morning, preacher. Got my 1611. It ain't 1611. It's about a 1732, something like that. You couldn't read a 1611. The F's or S's, it's called crazy. But anyway, let me see your hands again. Got your King James with you, right? So this is one of those things that you can be proud of in your old King James because it nails it. it does a great job right here. The old King James puts it this way. Ye have robbed me. Ye are cursed with a curse. Bring ye all the ties into the storehouse. It is corporate. It is plural, if you will. But then in the middle of verse 10, there's a slight change. Prove me now herewith, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. It is a personal pronoun. He personalizes it. And he says, when you return to me in the way that I have prescribed, you will receive a personal blessing. Now, We are living in a day and age, again, much like the day and age that Malachi was living in. And and so they believed in God. They knew that there was a God out there somewhere that had created everything that is out of nothing that was. They, they knew that God had worked in the lives of their, their daddies and their granddaddies and their great, great, great granddaddies. They'd heard the story of the Exodus, how God had pulled them and brought them out of Egyptian bondage, how he, had, how he had delivered them from Egyptian captivity. They had heard about the marvelous, miraculous stories of the crossing of the Red Sea and the conquest of Canaan. They knew that God had led them by a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. They knew all of that. But that was way back then. Surely God would not, surely God could not work today the way that he had worked in their daddy's day, in their granddaddy's day, in their great-granddaddy's way. And yet God says here in Malachi, he says, I want to work in your life like I did in your, in your father's and your grandfather's life. I'm waiting to, I'm longing to, I want to. But you've got to return to me. So my favorite preacher story, and if you've been around Abilene with us now nearly eleven years, you've heard this before. And if you're new to Abilene, let me introduce you to my favorite preacher story. So there's an old man and an old woman. They're out for a sunny drive. By the way, can I just stop right here? If you're on a sunny drive, get out from in front of me. Sunday's my busiest day of the week. Today they've got flowing wells shut down. I, I had to go. I had to go down. I had to go down Bel Air. Made me so mad. I'm speaking in tongues going down Bel Air. It's crazy. And, uh, and so, but anyway, this old man, this old woman, they're on a they're on a, they're on a Sunday drive, and he's in. The, I, I, I kind of envision they're in an old custom, kind of a brown custom Chevy pickup truck, and he's over there behind the wheel, and he's just driving like this right here, and he's just oblivious. He just he just he just he's he just had lunch, and, and and he's he's just fat and happy, and uh, and so she's over on on her side of the car next to the door, and he's over there driving, she's over there, and finally, guys like like women do sometimes. I don't understand why. She looks over here and says, "What happened?" He said, "Huh." She said, what happened? He said, I don't know what you're talking about. She said, there was a day when we used to sit right next to each other. There was a day when we used to sit so close in this very truck that people from behind us would think that we're the same person. What happened? And then she just loses it, ugly crying all over the place. And she starts saying, you're way over there, and I'm way over here, and you're way over there, and I'm way over here. And then she says, what happened? And I love what the old man said. He goes, I ain't moved. It's my favorite story right there. It really is. <laughs> and that's what God is saying here in Malachi. God is saying, hey, I'm still here. I have not moved. I'm the same God that I used to be. I have the same power that I've always had. I have the same strength that I had back in your daddy and your granddaddy's day. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if you will return to me, I will return to you. And we can get back on speaking terms. That's what, that's what he's saying. And here's how he does it. When you return to him and you, re- you bring the tithe to the storehouse, when When you're faithful with the resources that he's given you, he blesses you with his presence and his praise. Think about that. The creator God of the universe praises you. The creator God of the universe gives you accolades. Can you imagine that? The awesome, omnipotent, almighty God of the universe says, attaboy a girl! Way to go! That's awesome! That's what I've been waiting for! And then you begin to experience his presence and the provision in, in, of, of God in your life. And, and there are some of you here this morning, and, and you're, you're here in the room, and, and, uh, and, and you look at other folks that you know, and they're family members, you work with them, maybe you're sitting next to them this morning, and, and they experience God working in their life in a way that you do not experience. That they, they, um, God answers their prayers. They, have, they enjoy their quiet time. They're happy, they're healthy, they have a holy walk with the Lord. It seems like they're on a first name basis with God. And then you look at your life and you look at their life and it just seems so different. God seems so distant from you. And you say, what's the difference? Let me ask you a question. Have you done what God told you to do? Have you done what God's commanded you to do? Have you returned to him? Have you returned to him what belongs to him? Because until you do, there's not going to be that personal blessing that I'm talking about. So my pastor, Adrian Rogers, had a great statement. I posted it here about a week ago. It's still as true now as it was back then. He says, God doesn't have favorites, but he does have intimates. God loves everybody god doesn't have favorites but he does have intimates and that's the point that i've been trying to make all throughout this entire series is that the way that you handle the material resources that god gives to you is going to affect how much of the spiritual resources that he's going to trust you with and i've shared this verse with you over the years if you've been around abilene for any time at all you have heard this verse and i think this is one of the hardest verses in the bible so people will say preacher when are you going to preach about hell Come back, I'll do a series here in a while. And, uh, but pe- people say, well, sermons prayer- about hell are the hardest one. No, no. What I'm about to read for you right now is probably the hardest verse in the Bible. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 16, verse 11. He says, Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, what's mammon? Money. Yeah, it's money. If you've not been faithful in the unrighteous money, if you will, who will commit to your trust the true riches? I read that years ago. I said, that's the hardest verse in the Bible. In other words, if you're not going to do what you're supposed to do with money, then God's not going to trust you with the spiritual stuff. You say, well, what are the true riches? I think that it is the presence and the praise and the provision of God. And so when you begin to tithe, when I begin to tithe, when we get in on what God calls his, his, his economy, when you begin to manage the master's materials according to the prescription that God has set forth, the first thing that's going to happen in your life is that God's going to bless you personally. Number two, God will bless you financially. Now, I get it. I'm a pastor in a Baptist church. I'm a a Baptist from the hairspray on the top of my head to the calluses on the bottom of my feet. I'm I'm a Baptist. Somebody asked me one time, and said, Pastor, what would you be if you weren't a Baptist? I said, ashamed. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm a Baptist, all right? And so I know that whenever a bandit starts preaching like a, I'm preaching here this morning, there are going to be those people who are going to get nervous, a little, get a little upset, and they're going to say, I knew it. I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. He's one of them charismatics. That's what he is. He's one of them name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, uh, health, wealth, and prosperity preachers. This is your first Sunday at Abilene, right? Because I'm, I'm the farthest thing away from that. But I do want you to understand that I believe, as you read the Bible, as I have as I've studied the Bible as, I, as I've read it the one thing that I see over and over and over and over again is that God desires to meet every single need of your life he desires to meet the financial needs of your life and the physical needs of your life and the spiritual needs of your life and the Bible does say that God delights in the prosperity of his people but I do not think that that means that you're always going to be rich happy or healthy so I have trouble sleeping, if you haven't noticed. And I've hit that age, and so this summer I turned 50, I, I get it. Some of y'all say, I got underwear older than you. I get it. You need to buy new underwear, but anyway <laughs> I, I have trouble sleeping, and so I told the folks out at the West Campus that I've, I've gotten to the place now where I can't drink caffeine after about seven o'clock at night. Anybody else feel my pain? And so every evening about 6, 6.30, the Whip Boys make a pilgrimage to the Sprint store there at Pumpkin Center. Because it's kind of like our Walmart out there in West Columbia County. And I buy me a Sprite Zero Sugar because it doesn't have any caffeine in it. And then I buy me a Coke Zero Sugar because it does. And I drink the Sprite at night and I drink the Coke in the morning. Because if I drink the Coke at night, I won't won't go to sleep. Because I had this thing, I, I a little bit of insomnia. And so, here a while back, I, I couldn't sleep one night. And I don't know how some of you all got, in my, got into my Roku TV and put it on TBN or something. I don't know how y'all did that. And so, in the middle of the night, I wake up, and one of these preachers, 2 o'clock in the morning, is preaching along the line and I'm preaching right here. And just being honest with you, when, when I first wake up, he's doing a pretty good job. He's talking about how God wants to bless you. And I'm like, that's, that's great. And, and how God wants you to prosper. I said, man, that's, that's, that's good too. And God wants me to meet every need of your life. And I'm almost turning to a Baptist right there in the bedroom at about 2 o'clock in the morning. And I just kind of go along good with him until he said, and God wants you be rich? I'm going to click, done, off. Because it is not God's desire that everybody be rich. And, but, but just because there are some nuts out there who spout that stuff, which by the way, probably why he's on TV at two o'clock in the morning. Can I get an Amen because the other guy's got enough money to be on the other TVs. But anyway, but just because some nut spouts that off doesn't mean that we should throw the baby out with the bathwater. Look back in Malachi chapter 3. Let's work our way down through what God says will happen to you financially. Real quickly, when you bring your tithes and offerings to the storehouse. He says in verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. And remember, remember, in spite of what the lady said on, on Facebook, the storehouse in the Old Testament temple is the equivalent of the New Testament church. Corinthians tells us that. Don't have time to get back into that today. Same word, same imagery. He says, "Bring all the ties into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house." And try me now in this, says the Lord of Hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. So this is the second part of the promise that God says He's going to give to you when you do what He tells you to do. The first part is He's going to open the windows of heaven, pour you out a blessing so big that you can't even contain it, and then the second part of the promise is that He's going to rebuke the devourer for your sake. The word devourer there literally means anything that destroys. It refer to fire. It can refer to human armies. It can refer to locusts. Anything that would destroy your financial assets, God says he's going to rebuke. And by the way, that's not the first time that God has used the word rebuke in the book of Malachi. He used it way back in Malachi chapter two verse three, where he's talking about what he's going to do to the people of Judah. But here's the cool thing. Are y'all still there this morning? Here's the cool thing. This word here, rebuke, It's a verb of speech. It's a verb of speech. It's not a verb of action. It is a verb of speech. But when God's the one doing the speaking, the two are the same. Let there be light. And there was light. Let the water be divided from happens. So when God says it, it happens. And God says, he'll rebuke for you the devourer. And he goes on to say, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. That's your crops. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field. That's your grapes, says the Lord of hosts. And so once you step back into God's way of doing things, once you make the decision to get in on his plan and program of economy, once we quit trying to make it on our own, once we try, we quit trying to get all we can and can all we get and begin to return to the Lord what belongs to him, then he says there There's going to come this supernatural protection. If that devourer is a plague upon your crops, he says he'll rebuke it. If that devourer is an illness, he says that he will rebuke it. And in a way that I cannot understand, God will see to it that every single need that you have is met and that you have enough to continue to give back to him so he can give back to you, so you can give back to him, so he can give back to you, so you can give back to him, so he can give back to you, so on and so forth. Have I made my point? Yeah. Yeah. So, I like poems, I like poetry, but I, I, let me just say this right here this morning. If it doesn't rhyme, it's not poetry. Can I just say that? Because I'm from West Tennessee, and now the other might be pretty, pretty writing, but it's not a, if it doesn't rhyme, it's not a poem. So, let me give you, this is a good one. I wonder why the Lord did ask for tithes from you and me. Can I just stop right there? Have you ever asked the question, why, why does God... Why does God want us to tithe? I wonder why the Lord did ask for tithes from you and me when all the treasures of the earth are his eternally. And why he should depend upon us to fill his house with meat when we have so very little and his storehouse is replete. But he said to bring our little and he would add as much then all the heavenly windows would be opened at his touch. Blessings running over even more than has been told will be ours, but there's no promise if his portion we withhold. Are we afraid to prove him? Is our faith and love so small that we tightly grasp our little when he freely gave his all? When you do what God says, when I do what God says, He promises to bless us personally. He promises to bless us financially. Then lastly, God says he'll bless you spiritually. Look at verse 12. And all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Now remember this blessing can refer to praise. It can refer to prosperity, but it can also refer to a peace treaty. And so when you return to the Lord, what he says is his, yes, he's going to pour out and you're going to receive personal blessings. That's praise. Yes, he's going to rebuke the devourer and you're going to receive financial blessings. That's prosperity. But then the third result of his opening the windows of heaven is that there's going to be a peace between you and God and all the nations are going to call you blessed. It will affect your testimony. It's going to affect your witnessing. Let me ask you, how in the world, look right here, look right here, we're about done. How in the world can you witness a somebody and encourage them to trust God with their eternal soul when you can't trust God with a few few dollars? How are you going to do that? How are you going to tell somebody, hey, give your life to Christ when you're not giving him what he says belongs to him? And by the way, all of those that you work with and all those that you come in contact with, when you begin to do what God tells you to do, they're going to notice it and they're going to know that God is real in your life. That's what Rahab said. Remember there in Jericho? She said that, that, that that's what caused her to come to faith in God. She said in Joshua chapter 2 verses 9 through 10, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon, and Og whom you utterly destroyed. Watch this. Giving the first dime out of every dollar, the first hour out of every day, the first day out of every week is a powerful witness to those around you that God is real and active and working in your life. Let me just end with one more little poem. It's powerful. When I look up at that cross where God's great steward suffered loss, yes, loss of life and blood from me, a trifling thing it seems to me. To pay the tithe, dear Lord, to thee, time and talent, wealth or store, full well I know I owe thee more, a million times I owe thee more. But that is just the reason why I lift my heart to God on high and please pledge thee by this portion small, my life, my love, my all in all, this holy token at thy cross. I know there money must seem but dross, but in my heart, Lord, thou dost see how it has pledged my all to thee that I, a spirit true, may be. We've talked for the last several weeks about finances and stewardship. But I need you to understand, it's not about money. That's a byproduct. It really is about trust. It's about obedience and trust. I remember before God called me to be a pastor, I wanted to be a lawyer. I I was in pre-law at Union University. I didn't want to help save me, and I wanted to sue them. One of the best jobs I've ever had in my life was delivering subpoenas. It is awesome. Some of you were on the other side of that. Not so great. I get it. And I was running from the Lord. I, I, I did not want to surrender to ministry. I grew up in a pastor's home, been around a whole lot of preachers, didn't like most of them. We kind of had that in common, right? You didn't get it. And every time I went to church, I got convicted. I felt guilty. And so the easiest thing, if every time you go to church, you feel convicted and guilty, guess what you don't do as a college student? Just quit. I quit going to church. I Quit doing what I knew I was supposed to do. And my life began to spiral out of control. I certainly wasn't tithing, wasn't living for the Lord. And I remember waking up on Sunday morning at Union University and I would put $5 worth of gas, my last $5, in my little Dodge Ram D-50 pickup truck. And I would take the change that was laying on my, my desk and I would go buy me a Coca-Cola and a Snickers bar. And that was it till payday on Wednesday. I had nothing, nothing. When I burnt through the calipers on my brakes, $360 to get my brakes fixed, my little, my little Dodge pickup truck, I was in a mess. But you know, when I finally surrendered to what God told me to do, and I began to be obedient to what he had said for me to do, he began to take care of me. You say, well, that means you got a lot of money. I didn't say that. I say he took care of me. And it may not mean that God's going to give you a lot more money. What it may mean is that that car that was going to last about 100,000 miles goes 246,000 miles. that tires that go X amount of miles double and maybe the reason why your car keeps breaking down is because you're not tithing and there's some mechanic somewhere who is tithing and God's getting your tithe through the mechanic and he's getting the blessing that you would get if you would do what you're supposed to do and maybe the reason why you get sick is because there's an oh is that too close right Because God's going to get what belongs to his one way or the other. The question is, do we get the blessings from doing what he's told us to do? And I can just tell you that since I got in on God's miraculous plan of economy, I haven't had a need that he didn't meet. There have been tight times, and a lot of times what you have to do is you have to restructure your whole financial life around the first thing that you give every week. Right? Right? But I have never had a need that God didn't take care of. And it's crazy how it works sometimes. And it comes down to an issue of obedience and trust. And maybe this morning, the reason why you're having a hard time doing what He's told you to do, obeying, is because you really haven't trusted. And this morning, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus, you've never truly been saved. I baptized a lady about an hour ago. <laughs> Who came by the office this past Tuesday, raised in church, made a decision as a young lady, but had absolutely no confidence, no assurance that she was saved. And as we talked there in the office, I finally just said, hey, would you like to nail this down? She said, oh, I would love to. And right there in my office this past Tuesday, I led that young lady to the Lord. I baptized her about an hour ago. And maybe that's where you are this morning. You. Maybe you made some decision when you were younger, but you have absolutely no confidence in that decision. Maybe you know that you've never trusted Christ. And you've thought through this series that this is about getting your money. Look, God doesn't want your money. What God wants is you. And God knows that once he gets you, he gets everything else.